Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, December 16th, we are studying Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. St. Paul closes his letter to the Christians in Rome with a doxology of praise to the one true God. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. Pastor Heidi serves as pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. He is also one of the hosts of the podcast, A Word Fitly Spoken. Pastor Heidi, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Glad to be back. Pastor Heidi, we are looking at these last three verses of the book of Romans because it is an appointed epistle reading for the season of Advent. It is the epistle reading for the fourth Sunday in Advent in series B of the three-year lectionary. So, I mean, here we are at the end of an epistle. What does the end of the epistle of Romans have to do with the season of Advent? Well, the this ending here kind of ties up the the, the, the whole book of Romans, and, and when it comes to talking about Advent, you know, we're looking at giving praise and glory to God, and I certainly think that that is something that, as we look through the season of Advent, that we want to do, right? We want to give glory to God for the things that he has done, and both for, you know, what he has done in sending his son, as well as what he's going to do when his son returns. So yes, uh, we have the glory of God here in mind, and that's certainly a theme, I would say, of Advent. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, that's that's one that I don't think is the first thing I think of when I think about the season of Advent. I mean, when I think of Advent, I'm thinking waiting, expectation, repentance, joy, and I suppose glory then would follow from that. So maybe this is, this is one of those points where I, just having all these epistle readings put together like this has helped me to see that. I'm not sure that I would have thought of the glory of God as something that this is what Advent's about. And yet, as you said, when you look at where Advent is leading us, the glory of God is going to be the natural conclusion. So it makes sense that this is going to show up on the fourth Sunday in Advent in Series B. Right, because we're now getting close to Christmas, of course. And uh, well, you know, this year, Christmas and fourth Advent are a little separated. But, um, But the point being that as we come towards the close of the Advent season, looking forward to, you know, the full revelation of what God is going to do in Jesus Christ, you know, when he is born on Christmas. Yes, I do think that that is a, that is something that we should glorify God for, that uh, he has sent his son into the flesh in order to redeem us. And that is certainly something that we will praise him for in eternity. Well, and, and then we praise him for it right now. And again, just thinking through the, the church year calendar, after the fourth Sunday Advent comes Christmas. And of course, this isn't, we're not in series B this year in the three-year lectionary. But when you get to Christmas, you hear the song of the angels, and the angels sing glory to God in the highest. And so to hear the way Paul speaks about the glory of God, how he gives glory to God here at the end of the epistle of Romans, does fit very well into the season of Advent. And again, very well 
particularly at the end of the season of Advent, which is where this reading would show up. So, Pastor Heidi, that sets some Advent context for us, and I know we'll we'll dig more into that as we look at the verses themselves. We're at the very end of an epistle. Sometimes when we read epistles, we sort of we, we like the meat, we want the theology, but then sometimes I think our attention maybe trails off toward the end. And, and we're like, okay, he's going to end with a doxology. Yeah, we got that. We know that. We have an opportunity to look at it in depth. Help us with some context for Romans as a whole. We're in the end of chapter 16, so you've got 15 and a good chunk of 16 that you could tell us about with context. What do we need to know about the book of Romans that's going to help us understand in context the doxology at the end? Yeah, so we basically have to keep the entire book in mind. So I guess we're going to cover Romans in an hour. Perfect. If anyone (laughs) is up to it, it's you, Pastor Heidi. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate your confidence. Um, the, The very end of Romans being a doxology is... Paul's way of tying up the themes of the entire book. And if I'm not mistaken, this is actually fairly unique among the epistles, isn't it? Because I think you're right. Yeah, because he usually ends it with just, you know, grace and peace to you or, you know, something like that. The Lord be with you. Amen. You know, that sort of thing. So he just kind of ends with a general blessing upon to the recipients of the letter. And he does that, you know, earlier in Romans 16 here as well, you know, when he's saying greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so who's in their house, you know, he he is keeping them in mind. But in the book of Romans, he actually closes it by giving glory to God. And I think that that is a very fitting thing to do for this book because, you know, Romans is, in essence, a, I would say, even a summary or, you know, the one of the clearest um, setting forth of the gospel that we have even in the New Testament, you know, and and for him to to summarize that and to give glory to God and to praise Him for what He has revealed in Jesus Christ, I think is a very a very natural, very fitting end to the book, right? Yeah, not. I mean, I think the Book of Romans, when I think about its place within the New Testament, it does stand out as almost a a theological textbook. This is a a doctrinal summary. If you want to know what is the, I don't know, catechism maybe isn't the right word, but if you if you want a clear, concise, and just logical journey through the Christian faith, the Book of Romans is for you, and and that's where I do think this is where we get to hear the doxology at the end. Is maybe something, and we can, we can reflect more about reflect more about this when we get toward the end of the study. But maybe the the part that we forget about. I'm, I mean, I'm thinking about my my own confirmation classes here at Grace, and we do a great job of studying the text, of looking through the scriptures, of reading the text of the Catechism. But we're not maybe, and this is just me. Maybe we're not always as quick as Paul is here to give praise to God because of that. And I think it, I mean, just that example that Paul gives us of setting out the theology and then closing with doxology, this is where our theology should be leading us, is is not just to, to knowing stuff, but to praising God for what that theology means for us sinners. Well, and Paul is also very quick to give praise to God in what we might consider to be very odd places in the book of Romans. Uh, thinking, for example, of chapter 1, uh, when he's talking about the the sin of the world and the 
the great depravity of the unbelieving world, he actually breaks out into doxology in the midst of it. You know, <laughs> so I mean, Paul is very quick to give praise and glory to God, and I and I wonder if that isn't something that we should try to capture not only in our teaching but even in our preaching as as ministers of the gospel. You know, do we consider our preaching to be a praise of God? You know, or do we consider it to be just something else? I mean, what do, what do you want to do with that? Well, I mean, I think so. So, like in the middle of the sermon, you mm-hmm. you want to say glory to God, just in the uh, after making a like a the rather than maybe instead of you know the mic drop, <laughs> instead of <laughs> mic drop, when you make that theological point in your sermon, you say glory be to God because it's not about you making a mic drop, anyways. As right. good as your preaching is, I'm sure. It's it's about the glory to God. So I mean, is that is that kind of what you have in mind? Almost all, similar to what Paul does in the Book of Romans, where he just interrupts himself with the doxology. It certainly could be. I mean, I'm not going to say no. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with you know breaking out into a kind of praise of God as you're making a point, especially if you are moved to do so. But it could even just be something as simple as you know how we approach our preaching. Do we consider it to be an offering to God that is something that is meant to glorify him, that is meant to, you know, uphold him, uh, to to build him up in the eyes of his people so that they would also praise him. You know, or do we treat it as something merely as, well, I'm going to get up and talk for 15, 20 minutes and then that's it kind of a thing. Well, and I think that, you know, that that makes or it it reminds us that our preaching and the the listening to preaching, both both sides of it, Mm-hmm. is more than an academic exercise, but it's something that's actually happening at that moment. When we stand in the pulpit as pastors, we are delivering the Word of God to people at that moment. And that's not just information going into your brain, making you smarter. There, Obviously, there is content to the gospel, right. but this is something's happening at that moment. God is at work through that Word, to convict you of your sin and to raise you to new life by his gospel. He's actually doing something to you. And and when that's happening, when I mean when God is doing something to you, then there should be this uh, I don't conversation maybe isn't quite the right word, but there should be this this back and forth to a degree that I re- oh God God has shown me my sin. Lord have mercy on me a sinner. And then here comes the gospel. You are forgiven because of Jesus Christ. God be praised, all glory to you, O Lord. I mean, this sort of, I don't know, back and forth, which is really, I mean, that's that's the whole divine service. Preaching then is a, a microcosm of that. And, and yeah, when we see it that way, then, I mean, the sermon is, isn't is dead, but the, it, it does, it, I mean, it gives that fuller meaning to the sermon that maybe sometimes we forget. Oh, my pastor's going to talk for 15 minutes and I'm going to sit here, be quiet. It's not that. I mean, this is something, God's doing something to you in the preaching of his word at that moment. And we as preachers should also recognize that, you know, my what I am offering up to the Lord, a kind of sacrifice of praise in that moment is more than just getting up and talking too. So, you know, we should have a a deep sense of the the glory of the awesomeness of the, you know, of the preaching task and, you know, we should always bring that with us when we get into the pulpit. So, so, I mean, the, the glory of God, then, that Paul speaks about here in these last verses of Romans is something that should still pervade who we are as Christians, our own Christian worship, and our, our entire Christian lives, really. You, you said, 
Pastor Heidi, that in this doxology, Paul in many ways ties up a lot of the themes of the book of Romans. And it, it all is expressed by giving glory to God. But what are those themes of the book of Romans that he's tying together? Well, I mean, if you if you look at the, the book in general, so let's say take, starting with the first couple of chapters, uh, talking about, you know, the, the, the sin of, of the world and that sort of thing, and then leading very clearly into the gospel, you know, that we are justified by grace, by faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And so we see that already, you know, being tied together. And then as Paul goes through um, the next few chapters of the book, I'm thinking like uh, chapters four through seven or so, you know, he's kind of explicating that, showing how, you know, we are justified by faith. You know, Abraham was justified by his faith, not by his works, that sort of thing. And then even when we get into, say, the the, the more dense parts of the book, like in chapters uh, 9 through 11, where it's talking about um, issues of election and that sort of thing, you know, we see that also in, you know, as what he's talking about here, um, as he, this is something that's just being revealed, you know, this is God's choice, this is something that he has given to us according to his will, and then even, even the, the final chapters of the book, 12 through 15, where he's talking about what this means for us now, you know, what it means to live as a Christian. You know, he's, he's bringing all of these themes together into three very concise verses and trying to show how the gospel, which I would say is the very heart of the book, is expressed in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? I mean, there's... I'm trying to summarize an entire book in like a paragraph here. So, <laughs> and and Romans, as as we've said, is very. I mean, although it is compact, there's so much there. No, I, I think I think the way you laid it out is is helpful, and to to identify the gospel as the center of it, I think is is very helpful as well. W- one way that I I think about the book of Romans, particularly the beginning and the end, is that you have a. I think there's a bit of a bookend here. You you get the right. gospel here in verse 25. And I think one of the most famous verses from the book of Romans, at least among Lutherans, is there at the beginning in chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And so, I mean, I think there, you've got these bookends on on the whole letter, and that's the gospel, and that pervades the whole thing. Right, and especially when you're dealing with um, the, the material right next to it, too, where Paul is talking about, you know, his travel plans. That's something that he also brings up in uh, chapter 15. So in a, in a way, what we are reading here is kind of a, a recap of what he was talking about at the very beginning of the book. And so, yeah, it is a very natural bookend uh, that he is setting forth here. So it's a, a very neat way of tying it all together. You mentioned you know, that he talks about travel plans in chapter 15, and we, we did study Sharper Iron here on—or, sorry, we started the Book of Romans here on Sharper Iron a while ago, and I, I recall that there's a little bit of, of context maybe about the church in Rome. This is not a church that he's ever visited. He wants to go visit them. That's what he talks about in chapter 15. Is there any of that historical background that we need to, to know that helps us with, with this particular section? Uh, with this one, I mean, just kind of giving an idea of, like I said, he hasn't visited them. He is going to visit them on his way past them, basically. So it's kind of a stopping point as he goes further west. And so, yeah, the letter is a kind of introduction. But I think as far as this, these three verses themselves, we don't need to get into too much depth. 
with that. Sure, sure. Well, let's go ahead and look at these three verses then. This is Romans 16, verses 25 to 27. St. Paul writes, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be all glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. That is Romans 16, 25 to 27. And again, that is the epistle reading for the fourth Sunday in Advent in series B of the three-year lectionary. Pastor Heidi, it's only three verses, but before we dig in very deeply to these words, just give us your overall sense, the summary of what Paul is saying in these in this conclusion to the letter. Well, I think the, the very general idea that he wants to set forth here is that everything that he has talked about up to this point is leading him to give thanks to God because this has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And so I think that... Um, the, the focus here is on what God has done in Christ and as it is in you know all of the book of Romans and then giving praise to God for that in particular. You know, this is why he says, you know, to him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So yeah, it like I say, it is this this general praise uh, specifically for the gospel, specifically for what God has done. And also um, kind of bringing in those other themes to really flesh out what he means by that gospel. So I think that's the kind of the general overview of what's going on here. So as, as we look at the verses very specifically then, wh- where do you want to start, Pastor Heidi? I mean, my the first thing that really pops out to me, I don't want to skip over other things, but the thing that really pops out to me at the beginning is that he says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. He, he labels it my gospel. That's what stands out to me. But I don't want to skip over something before that if you, you want to talk about something else. Well, I think maybe just a, a few things before we get to the gospel there. Um, that sounds terrible, but... Um, <laughs> I know what you meant. <laughs> but now to him, okay, so there is obviously a focus on God here. But, you know, what is this one God doing who is able to strengthen you? And I think that's that word that strengthening there is important because it is, in an essence, summing up what Paul has been talking about for the past four chapters. I think it is a very, a very succinct way of talking about the, the content of chapters 12 through 15 in particular, where, you know, he's saying, you know, don't be conformed to the world, you know, but by the renewing of your mind, this is how you live as Christians. All of these things are happening because of God who strengthens you. So there is, even though we're talking about God in particular, uh, he is also looking to what God does, not only in saving us, but also in sanctifying us. Yeah, and I I think that's a very helpful comment. And I think that ties in very nicely to the, the theme of Advent. In other epistle texts that we've been looking at in this series, there are other places where Paul talks about, you know, God's going to bring to completion the good work that he's begun in you. And he's going to do that. He's going to bring that to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And that what, what he says here then in Romans 16 fits in very well with that. You know, how how are you going to make it through all of this? How are, you, how are you going to get to that day? Well, God is the one 
who is able to strengthen you. So not only has he has he called you to this faith, you know, through the gospel, which we're going to talk about, but he's going to keep you in that faith. He's going to strengthen you in that faith with that goal of sustaining you to the day. Maybe it's it's not necessarily all said like that here, but packed into that word strengthening is that same idea that that the one who's going to bring these things about he's the one to whom we're giving glory. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's another Advent connection right there. Sure. Yeah. I think it, it makes a very, a very nice way of kind of leading into this because otherwise we might get caught up on the, you know, the details with it. But, you know, when we, when we regard this as God who strengthens us and how does he strengthen us, you know, through the gospel, through the preaching, through the revelation, all these things, we can see that this is all one neat little package. You know, it's, we don't want to separate uh, what God has done for us in Christ on the cross a, apart from what he's doing for us, you know, now by giving us the Holy Spirit to, you know, sanctify us and all those sorts of things. So all of the, our Christian life comes together in this, in this doxology. Yeah. So the one who is able to strengthen you, that is the one to whom we give this glory. The one who has not only brought us to faith, but who keeps us in that faith, who strengthens us in that faith, who, you know, I mean, all the things that he talks about in chapters 12 through 15, as you've said, he's the one who's accomplishing that. And we know that he's the faithful one. So he is going to do it. All of that there. And just the one who is able to strengthen you. And now how? According to my gospel. Now, we definitely want to talk about well, what is the gospel, but also a little bit about why does he call it my gospel and not just, I mean, I don't I don't think I've ever said that in a, in a sermon. Now, granted, I'm not an apostle either, but I don't think I've ever called it my gospel. Why Why does Paul do that, not only here, but in other places as well? Well, it, on the one hand, I think it is because he has a very clear sense of his authority. You know, he's, he's preaching his gospel because there are other gospels out in the world, of course, uh, gospels which are no gospel at all. Um, but he says, you know, this is my gospel because this is what I have come to proclaim. This is the thing that I have been sent to say, which is something that we do want to keep in mind. But I think it's also, on the other hand, um, something that we can also apply to ourselves because, you know, this is my gospel because it pertains to me. You know, the gospel is not this clinical, you know, textbook kind of thing that's somewhere out there. And yeah, we can kind of assent to it because, you know, I guess it's true and we, we know it's true and that's about it. But it is something which has a living meaning also for me. You know, this is something that what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. So, yeah, I mean, I think and the reason it strikes me is because I think the way my ears initially hear it is, well, what do you mean? Does it belong to you, Paul? Did you come up with it? And and you know from elsewhere that that's clearly not what he's saying. He talks about how, and he's going to talk about it here, that it's been revealed to him. But right. I like it. If I understood you right, two, two ways we can understand that. One is that it's my gospel in the sense of I'm preaching this gospel, not something else. And right. as he says in Galatians, you know, if you're hearing something else is the gospel, that's not it. So my gospel is to distinguish it as the truth. But then also my gospel is to to say, this is for me. This isn't, you know, it's, it's not your gospel and it's, but it, no, this is actually for me. And that's one of the, and that's a huge thing when it comes to the gospel. That is what, what makes the creed, for example. I mean, that's why when we recite the second article, article of the creed, 
it's not just all these historical facts about Jesus. Again, he did do these things in history, but the what makes it really good news is that he did it for me and for you. Right, exactly. And because he has done it for me, I can find comfort in that and realize that, you know, this is how God is strengthening me through this gospel, right? So then let's talk about that word gospel. This is a word that we use all the time as Christians. It's all over the New Testament. We, we talk about it a lot as Lutherans particularly. Here's a, here's a question for you, Pastor Heidi. What's the gospel? <laughs> well, <laughs> First you uh, had to summarize the book of Romans in a paragraph. <laughs> now we have to summarize the gospel. Um, the gospel, in a nutshell, is Jesus. I think that's the, the most succinct way that we can say what the gospel is. Um, now, of course, that's going to involve a great deal of unpacking, but the gospel is centered in what God has done in Jesus Christ. And so, you know, what has he done? Now, he has been born for us. He has died for us. He has risen for us. He sanctifies us. All of that is included within the gospel, but all of it stems from the Son himself. And so we want to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus when we think about, you know, what is the gospel. All right, so it, it, Jesus, that's the very short one-word answer. But again, that does require quite a bit of an unpacking. And sometimes, you know, we, when we as Lutherans talk about the gospel, we'll talk about it in a very narrow sense, right? right. That, you know, I mean, and sometimes then we'll talk about it in a very broad sense. What, what are, maybe I'll let you explain this. What are, the, what are those two things? And which do you think Paul has in mind here? Um, I suppose if, if you're going with a very, very narrow sense of what the gospel is, you know, that it is, you know, what God has done for us in Christ to forgive us. You know, that's what we usually mean by the gospel, you know, that he has died on the cross for our sins, that sort of thing. Um, but in a, in a broader sense, that's kind of what I was getting at, is yeah. that it includes everything that God is doing for us in Christ, which also includes, you know, bringing us to faith, which also includes renewing us, sanctifying us, all of these things, you know, so that we are walking in the will of the Lord, that sort of thing. So it, it is kind of both that narrow sense and the broad sense. And honestly, I think Paul has much more of the broad sense in mind here, as well as throughout most of the book of Romans. Yeah, and that makes good sense, particularly here, when he closes and he wants to give all glory to the one who's going to strengthen you according to the gospel— He's going to be using that broadest sense of everything that God has done for you in Christ Jesus. And we're going to pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking the end of Romans 16 with Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, December 16th. We are studying Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27 with Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. 
He's pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota, also one of the hosts of the podcast, A Word Fitly Spoken. Pastor Heidi, prior to the break, we were talking about the gospel, which Paul brings up in verse 25. He connects that to the preaching of Jesus Christ. So again, just to kind of keep the flow of Paul's thought here, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. How are those two things connected, the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ? Well, because preaching is how the gospel comes to us. You know, and this is this is Romans 10 language. You know, faith comes by hearing. You know, this is everything that he's bringing up there. That when Jesus is proclaimed to us, when the gospel is proclaimed to us, then we are receiving Jesus Christ. So preaching and the gospel are tied together very, very closely because you really can't have one without the other. You know, you can't have the gospel out there without it also being proclaimed to those to whom it would come, right? It needs to be revealed through preaching, and that is the preaching specifically of Jesus Christ. That phrase, that as it's translated there, the preaching of Jesus Christ, I think, I mean, in, in English, could sound a bit ambiguous. So I'm curious what you, it sounds like, I mean, the way that I initially hear it, the preaching of Jesus Christ would be the preaching of, about Jesus Christ. But as it stands, it could also be the preaching that Jesus Christ delivered. Do you think, which do you, which do you think, or do you think maybe there's a little bit of both going on there? Um, I don't see why they have to be at, you know, in opposition to each other. I think that these things could very well be, um, you know, tied together that, you know, we're not only preaching about Jesus Christ and what he has done, but, you know, all those other things as well. So I don't, I don't think we have to make it exclusive by any means. Well, and that's, um, can you, I'm going to, I'm going to dig into that just a little bit more that, that as, as preaching about Jesus Christ is happening, that this is Jesus Christ at work in the preaching. You see that, you see the connection that I, I think we can make here. And I think it, I think it relates to the conversation we were having earlier about the task of preaching and, and listening to preaching in Christian worship, that it's it's not just the imparting of information, but this is actually Christ coming to us to give us his word, to give us himself. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, especially because, like you say, as the in the act of preaching, you know, as the, the Spirit moves us to bring those words, yes, we are also receiving the very thing that it promises. You know, this is why we talk about uh, with forgiveness being something that is not just words, but, you know, the forgiveness which we hear is the actual forgiveness of God. It is delivered in that moment. So, yeah, I think that if you want to say that the preaching of Jesus Christ being both about him and through him, I, I could certainly see how you would come to that conclusion. Uh, yeah, I think, and I, I guess my point is, is it there in the language, or is this more of a theological point? And I, I guess I think we could say it's both there. I mean, that that this preaching of Jesus Christ can mean both those things, and theologically, certainly, we know that he's the one who is active in the preaching of his word. So, um, yeah, good stuff. So, Pastor Heidi, let's let's try to keep moving. we got a really loaded—it's uh, hard to know precisely where to break this down, because it's really just one long sentence— so right. trying to keep it organized, but the, the next really, there's a lot here. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed 
and through the prophetic writings has been made to known to all nations. That's that's really the whole phrase. Help us help us to unpack it. There's so much there. Well, because I suppose Good you want to focus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to focus on things like revelation. You want to focus thing on especially on mystery here, uh, because that is really the heart of this part of the doxology is the revelation of the mystery. So you know the revelation very clearly being you know, the setting forth, right? Something that was hidden, that was kept secret, but now has been made plain. And so in what sense is Jesus um, revealed, you know, where he was hidden before? Well, I mean, if you go back into the Old Testament, uh, we certainly recognize that Christ is there, that the promise of Christ is there, and everything that he's going to do is there. But for a long time, that was not made entirely explicit. Uh, especially when it comes to the the coming in of the Gentiles, for example, that this message is not just for ethnic Israel, but it's also for all nations. That was something that was also hidden. And uh, in the coming of Christ, then, uh, it has now been disclosed. And through the writings which have been given as being made known to all nations. So, yeah, we have something that God is now doing that is, in a sense, new, that he wasn't doing before. And that is the, the clear setting forth of the gospel to all people, right? Well, and so, okay, the, this revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, this would be, I mean, I, I think another Advent connection that in in the Advent of Christ, there, and I, I mean the first Advent of Christ in that sense, his first coming, this is part of that revelation of the mystery. That, that when he came in the flesh, this was God revealing what what, what had been there in the scriptures, but as, as you said, maybe wasn't always clear to the people or wasn't clearly proclaimed to the people in as plain words as, as you and I are. So there's there's that sense that you the first advent of Christ is part of this revelation. But I think also, too, this again ties into that first phrase, that part of the revelation of the mystery includes then the preaching of that first advent. So and and if I can you know, keep using the language of advent then this is this is talking both about the first coming of Christ in the flesh to be our savior but also then the the coming of Christ that we have right now in and particularly here in the word. It, I mean the sacraments are certainly included but Paul I think is emphasizing the preaching here the word that's part of the revelation the actual preaching that's happening from Christians still to this day. Right. I mean, especially because what God is doing in Christ, you know, what the Father has done in sending the Son is something that needs to be proclaimed. You know, it is something that has happened once for all, but is now continually being proclaimed as it goes out into the world. So, yes, we see the revelation of what God is doing, not only in Christ historically, but we also see the revelation of what God is doing in Christ now, as you, as you said. So I, I think that as we are you know, considering you know, what is the gospel, we have to recognize that it is something that God is revealing to us, especially as he is sending the Holy Spirit among us uh, to bring us the word, to bring us faith, right? Mm-hmm. 
Right. And and all of that, just so that we, we stay grounded here, all of that is connected to, very specifically here, the prophetic writings, this this revealing of the mystery. I mean, that, that first phrase, the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. That sounds really mysterious. I mean, you know, if, if, all, if that's all you read, like, whoa, that's that's big. And it's kind of like, that's kind of way out there stuff. But then he centers it very specifically through the prophetic writings that the way that, I mean, in the, I mean, if you think about the norm for this preaching that still happens and the, the way that God causes this preaching to go forth is through the Holy Scriptures. It's not just like you don't stand up in North Dakota every Sunday and preach whatever comes to your mind, nor do I stand up in Smithville and do that. We preach according to the Holy Scriptures that God has given. Right. And and in that preaching, you know, we are, that is coming forth from the the prophetic writings, we are setting forth the gospel, we're setting forth the revelation. So yes, this is all, like you say, grounded in what we have received from God uh, through the working of the Holy Spirit. So yes, it is something that we need to focus on and to look at if we want to know what this mystery is. Mm. And I mean, I think it's it's worth pointing out, and maybe the, when I was reading through this the first time for, in preparation for today, it, it struck me that, you know, has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings, he doesn't mention the apostolic writings here, he only mentions the prophetic writings, which, I mean, I think we should we should understand that as the Old Testament, right? And And if so, that means Christians, we need to know our Old Testament. Right. Well, we should always know our Old Testament. <laughs> Uh, we should we should do more with the Old Testament, in my opinion, but that's just that's neither here nor there. Um, but yes, I mean, it, I think I think you you might be right when you say you know the prophetic writings. You know, Paul is talking about what he has at this time because you know Romans is written what about fifty two, if I remember correctly, the year fifty two. The Lutheran Study Bible suggests fifty-five, so sometime sometime in the fifties, I think, is what I've always heard. But <laughs> well, I well, there you go. The Lutheran Study Bible is work. spoken, so uh, we'll say in the fifties. Okay, yeah, early fifties, even. The the point being that uh, not much of the the New Testament has been written at this point, and so when Paul is making his points, he is referring back to the Old Testament. You know, when the apostles you know preach, they're preaching Old Testament text to bring about. The revelation of Christ. And so in that sense, um, I would argue that, yes, he is referring back to the Old Testament and talking about how these things have been made known to all nations. Now, for us now, you know, as we include the book of Romans, as we have the New Testament, uh, we would expand this revelation of the mystery to the New Testament as well. So Paul is referring to the Old Testament, but we don't want to exclude the New Testament either. Sure, and I mean, the, the passage that comes to my mind with that, and this is probably a later epistle, but in Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about how the, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Right. And, and it, you know, again, that's not here, and if it is be, for that historical reason that not as much of the New Testament has been written yet, then so be it. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, I guess that the, what strikes me is that, you know, we think about this mystery being disclosed, and we think, oh, well, we gotta we gotta read the New Testament for that, and and we do, but I mean, it, it's just striking how. And this was we looked at a, a section in Romans 15 as a part of this study earlier in, in this series, 
and and over and over again, Paul's going to the Old Testament and he's saying, and this is, I think, the point you've made. Uh, look, it, it's been here all along. This, in, in particular, the inclusion of the Gentiles. Look at the Old Testament, and you'll see that this is what God has always had in mind, and now it's being made clear because Christ has come and because Christ is being preached. Right. And I mean, even if you go back to, say, like Romans 15, uh, when he's talking about the inclusion of the Gentiles, you know, he's quoting like Isaiah and all kinds of other Old Testament prophets here to make his point that this is something that is coming also to the Gentiles. So, yeah, this has been set forth through those writings, even in the Old Testament, even if we don't have, you know, the specific name Jesus in the Old Testament, that doesn't mean that he's not there. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. He's he's definitely there. And he, he himself says that over and over again. I mean, he, he tells us that the Lord himself tells us that the Old Testament is all about him. It's all about his. Well, it's all about the gospel. That's the way that that Paul summarizes it here. Paul is just echoing what Jesus says and, and again, summarizing what he's already written here in the book of Romans for us. So let's see. So if we could just try to keep the flow here of Paul's language. Again, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, there's that all nations language, according to the command of the eternal God. So again, here's here is God at work. This revelation and this preaching, this is all God's command. He's the, And he's the eternal God. God. Take us into just that short phrase, the, the command of the eternal God. Okay. Well, maybe I'll focus first of all on the eternal God. So we'll take the end of the phrase first. Um, I do believe that what he's talking about here is, you know, God, but more specifically about God the Father, um, because it is God the Father who has sent the Son. And in that sense, he is the one who has brought all of these things about right? He is the one who has commanded everyone everywhere to repent, as Paul says, um, is recorded as saying in the, the book of Acts. Uh, he is the one who has sent forth Jesus into the world in order to bring about, you know, all of these things. So the eternal God in that sense, I think, you know, we, we can take it kind of as both end, but I do think it is talking about the Father. Do you want to argue with me on that, or? No, I, I never want to argue with you, Pastor Heidi. <laughs> Rather, uh, well, I no, I, I I think you're right that that there when we're talking about the eternal God, the Father is primarily in view. But I, I'm curious if, with that being the case, then why do you think specifically, rather than saying, you know, according to the command of God the Father, here he labels him specifically the eternal God. What it is? What is it about? God's eternal nature. Why, why is that the way he? And I know that that's maybe a hard. It's not maybe not the best way of asking, but why? Why emphasize the eternity of God? Well, I mean to emphasize that this is something which is not new. You know, this is something that is come about, um, and it is something from eternity. I mean, again, bringing in the themes of uh, chapters nine through eleven, where he's talking about what God has done in eternity. You know, when it comes to choosing us, when it comes to our election. So, you know, God's <clears throat> eternal nature in that sense is something that uh, Paul wants to focus on because of the eternal gospel, something that has now been set forth and revealed in these times in Jesus Christ, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so the the eternal God, this isn't a surprise to him that this has happened. It was set forth in the scriptures long ago, and he being the eternal God, he knew what he was going to do all along. And I, I think, too, if, if to try to connect it to the to where you started us, and I think very helpfully, that, that again, this is now to him who is able to strengthen you. He's the eternal God. And and so he what's he going to do? He's going to strengthen you so that you will have eternal life. Again, that, you know, thinking through what the book of Romans has been doing in the strengthening of the Christian faith, the eternal God above all else, he is the one who's going to be able to do this. And so I think a, another word for comfort, given the way that, that Paul has phrased this. Now, what about what about this matter? It's the command of the eternal God. Right. And I think <clears throat> something to emphasize here when it comes to talking about God's command is that he is the one who has commanded this to happen. He wanted it to happen. Um, something that I don't know if we do this intentionally or if, you know, maybe maybe you don't fall into this. I, I don't know. You can tell me. Um, but sometimes I wonder if we think of God the Father as somehow being, how do I want to say, that somehow he is just so beyond angry with us that Jesus kind of has to come along and say, okay, you know, God, the father, you know, don't be angry anymore. That almost like, almost like Jesus has to, to convince God, the father to forgive us. Does that make sense? I've, I've, I've seen that. And I, I don't, it's hard, you know, I don't know if in, in my own thinking about, about God, the father, I've probably fallen into that. And I've, I've seen that thought expressed, Mm-hmm. But this is one of those places, and, and we've encountered this elsewhere in this study as well, in Second Peter chapter 3, where, where Peter talks about how, how, you know, with God, a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years, and when, when he seems slow to you, don't count it as slowness, mm-hmm. count it rather as his patience, because he desires that all would be saved. And so, I mean, yes, I think there is a, there can be a temptation, and when we talk about Jesus, say, satisfying the wrath of God. There can, a, there can be a temptation to see the Father as the angry one and the Son who comes and satisfies the wrath. And that's, I mean, it's true that the Son satisfies the wrath of God, but he does that because the Father sent him because right. the Father loves us <laughs> right. and wanted him to do. And so I, I think that's where you're headed with this. Correct. And so basically the, the point being that God the Father is the one who has commanded this to happen. He is the one who has commanded the Son to go in order that, you know, his wrath would be stayed. So we see here in the command of the eternal God, uh, his great love for us. And I know that that's something maybe that we don't always associate because we usually think of command as being, you know, part of the law, something that is, you know, maybe negative even. You know, I'm again, I'm speaking in, in our temptations to think about these things. I'm not, I'm not talking about how we actually approach these things. But God's command in that sense to the Son to save us, to do all these things, shows his great love for us, um, and that is what he is revealing to us. That is the gospel. You know, the Father has commanded the Son uh, to redeem us, and in that sense, we can give glory to him for that as well. Right, and I would, I would connect that in the Gospels to when Jesus speaks about his passion ahead of time, where he'll, he'll phrase it like this, you know, it is necessary that these things happen. Right? Or, or the, other, the other place that I would, I would think is Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he, he prays that the Father's will be done. And in both of those cases, you see, I mean, that's the, the command of, of God there 
is for the Son to do these things because he, the Father, loves us and wants us to be saved. Just to, just to try to, you know, again, to s- see that that point isn't something unique to Paul, but is throughout the scriptures. So, okay, we've got the command of the eternal God. This is going to bring about the obedience of faith. Pastor Heidi, we got about six minutes here on the morning. The obedience of faith, what is that? Yeah, that, of course, that there's... sound o- Lutheran. I guess not, but <laughs> it's biblical, it so it has to be. That's right. <laughs> well, this is this is a phrase that he uses explicitly in Romans uh, chapter 1 as well, uh, the obedience of faith. And I think what he is talking about is, <clears throat> you know, what it means for us to... Uh, to be Christians, really. You know, faith is something that brings about obedience. You know, the the gospel is something that brings about obedience. Um, You know, we are not, how how do I want to put this? We don't want to approach the gospel and fall into saying, well, I've been forgiven and that's all that really matters. So, you know, let, who, who cares how I live kind of a thing. You know, this is what Paul is addressing, especially in chapter six of Romans. You know, you know, shall we sin that grace may abound, that sort of thing, by no means, right? Faith is in God is something which brings about obedience. It brings about a newness of life. It sets us in the will of God so that we are now walking as he would have us walk. And this is the purpose of the gospel, uh, to bring about this obedience, to bring about this new life so that we are um, renewed, and set again in the presence of God. And so in that way, we don't want to separate the gospel from sanctification or anything like that, or justification from sanctification, to use the more technical terms. Uh, but we want to recognize that it is a package deal. This is the whole point. You know, this is the will of God, as Paul says, to your sanctification, right? Yeah. Well, and I think, again, to... if putting it in the context of what we've been talking about in just in this passage, going back to that very first verse, this is, we're giving glory to the one who's able to strengthen you. And, and again, it's it's his action. He's the one who's doing it. He's bringing it about through the gospel, through the preaching, and he's going to bring it to completion. I mean, right now in this life, these things happen in great weakness. We make a beginning at them, but God is at work. He's the one who's strengthening. And so he gets the glory. Of course, we could hear a phrase like obedience of faith and run all kinds of ways with it that are counter to the gospel. But when we hear it in the context that Paul puts it here in Romans, we, I mean, we do, we understand it in the context of the gospel that that he's centered in all along. So to bring it then to this grand conclusion, verse 27, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, and then amen at the end. Let's talk, let's talk about the word wise there, Pastor Heidi. Why, why here does he, again, you know, he emphasized God as eternal. Now he emphasizes God as wise in verse 27. What's the, what's the connection? Well, I mean, the, the wisdom of God, um, I mean, I suppose you could bring in kind of Corinthians language, you know, has made a foolish the wisdom of the world. You know, God in his wisdom has uh, brought about the salvation of us, of those who believe in him. And for that reason, we recognize his great wisdom uh, in, in his son, Jesus Christ. No, this is, I mean, it really is upholding what God is doing as being the the, the wise thing to do, as being the, the glorious thing to do. And, and for that reason, he glorifies God also as the only wise one, as opposed to the wisdom of the world. 
Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of another doxology that he gives in the book of Romans, the one at the end of chapter 11, where he, you know, he says, mm-hmm. oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Yeah, this right. is same same God here in, in Romans 16. Pastor Heidi, we've got about two minutes here on the morning to, to kind of wrap things up. Other things there in verse 27, and again, to help us see in this this very short yet packed epistle reading for Advent 4, the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, we see in it, you know, a very clear expression of what the gospel is. Uh, I suppose as you're going to use the language of the the wide sense, that's fine. But I do think that it is the the clear summary of the whole message of the book of Romans. You know, this gospel, which is Jesus Christ. And so we see in it, you know, in the gospel that God is redeeming us. We see in the gospel that God is renewing us. We see in the gospel that God is going to bring us to himself. And that is something for which we should give him thanks and praise and something which, you know, we should glorify him because this is, this is our life. This is our salvation. This is the whole thing, right? Why would we not want to give glory to God for what he has done in his son, Jesus Christ? And so, I mean, I think we, we should conclude with the doxology, glory be to God. Glory be to God for this gospel, for what he has done for us in Christ Jesus, because it is for you, it is for me. Glory be to him alone. Amen. Pastor Zelwyn Heidi is pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. He's also the host of a podcast, the A Word Fitly Spoken, helping us today with Romans 16, verses 25 to 27. Pastor Heidi, Thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about this epistle text or any of the other Advent epistles that we're covering in this series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.